Welcome to the Agile Book Club. Here are your hosts, Justina and Paul. Good morning, Paul. Today it's exciting, isn't it? Yes. Uh, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Yes, because... Well, I, I don't know. I'm mixed because obviously I've got a lot of questions about the book, right? But also excited because Lazuzzi's a friend and I haven't spoken to her in a couple of years, I think. You saw her at her conference last year, but I, I wasn't able Two to go. Two years ago. It Two was years ago. Or even three years ago. Yeah. You know. Time flies. It, it, they say it's a small world, but sometimes really important people can drift away. So, Yeah. It's an exciting time because we're going to be calling Zuzi. Zuzi Zalva, who is the author of The Great Scrum Master, the book that we reviewed last week. I hope, yeah, the book that we, we reviewed last week. And we're, we've got a bunch of questions about, not just about the book and the contents of the book, but also she's got a ton of experience in working with Scrum Masters at all levels and various kinds of organizations. And so we're going to be... we. We're still in our scrum love mode, and I'm I'm really <laughs> developing, really developing a soft spot in my heart for scrum masters out there. And so we're going to be asking her for some questions, for some advice for scrum masters, especially novice and intermediate scrum masters, about how to deal with just some of the really rough parts of a really rough job. So that'll be fun. I, I really look forward to hearing what she has to say. All right, so join us now as we call Zuzi Sahova. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, we're doing great. How are you? Good. So my first question, and this is something that I've been thinking about ever since I read the, the last book by Ryan Ripley, is this this fundamental conflict between the role of the scrum master and of the product owner. And what I liked about your book is how you express that as conflict, but as a healthy conflict. As how it, So my question for you is, could you describe how the conflict between the priorities of the product owner and the priorities of the scrum master resolves itself in a healthy way, which is good for the organization? Well, I think um, if you look at it from a really holistic perspective, what Scrum says is they are part of a team, right? They are both, together with a development team, they are part of the Scrum team. So they are team together. And I think the power of Scrum is in this team building, right? So if you really make Scrum right, you have a great development team. And people are talking about it, but what they are often missing is that there is this uh, healthy team above, which is Scrum team, and they actually are delivering the value as well. So um, I see it as a kind of a complementary views and complementary skills. They need each other because a Scrum master without the product owner is just useless. It doesn't matter because you don't really do the right things. And you don't even know where to go. You don't have the direction. You don't have the vision. And you don't have this unifying evolutionary purpose of why are we even here at all. And vice versa, if you have just the product owner and you're missing the Scrum Master, then the, the whole ecosystem is not really improving. I mean, they all do the retrospective, maybe, maybe not. They might still do the retrospective. They might do some steps. But there's a 
great scrum master to use this trademark thing, right? It's a great scrum master. Then actually the scrum master can skyrocket that uh, loop of uh, continuous improvement. And actually his or her job is to help this team to improve, to become better. And it's not just the development team, but it's a scrum team as well. And then the bigger ecosystem of the entire organization as well. So I think those two need each other. It's like uh, you have a different perspective. You have a different role, but you still deeply need each other because there is something higher, something more important, which brings them together. So I see it like that. In, as, as I mentioned, Susie, at the beginning, in the previous episode, we reviewed uh, think, fixing your scrum. And I asked Ryan what was his uh, top skill that each of the scrum masters should have. And I was wondering when I was reading your book, what would you say it's like a one top key skill for a scrum master in your opinion? This is a super interesting question because my first feeling is like, one? Like, really? <laughs> so my first, when I started thinking about this, was like facilitation and coaching. But there are two, right? So you may claim they are one, but they are not. So I guess I need to put it aside. And then in my mind, there's a second uh, kind of thought was leadership. Because at the end of the day, Scrum Masters are leaders. And leadership is a certain skill, right? It needs, it's a skill where uh, you have that vision, you're able to put it clearly out, and you actually are able to align people around that vision. So it might not be vision as a product vision, but it's an organizational vision. It's a vision like how we should work together and how this organization should be, who are we and who are we not, right? Not necessarily product-oriented, but culture-oriented. And uh, I think that's what is missing the most in the industry. So maybe I choose this one because everybody is now speaking about facilitation and coaching, at least some people do, some Scrum Masters knew it. But... Um, I guess nowadays I got the biggest surprise in the eyes when I say, like, you are the leaders. You're not the team assistants. You're not those scrum moms, of course, as somebody came up with this funny label, right? But you're leaders. And as the leaders, you need to gain some leadership skills. And that's a very different domain because most of those scrum masters been coming together with me, right? I was coming as a software developer background. Most of those Scrum Masters are technical. They never really went to any like business school, leadership school, anything like that. And maybe it's a time for, you know, my favorite topic nowadays, like currently is Agile HR, one of those hot topics around. So maybe there is a job for HR in the organizations, like how can we help those Scrum Masters to grow into the real servant leaders? And there are a lot of leadership programs which can help. But probably if I should choose one skill, it would be leadership. Thank you. But I want to talk about other skills too. One of the things I really liked about your book was your discussion of meta skills and the idea that a person can deliberately choose which skill they're going to bring to one situation or another. So for the benefit of our listeners, could you describe what you mean by meta skills and how Scrum Masters can use them? So the meta skills are those higher cognitive skills where you go really up and you just say, hey, I'll just be a good listener. And you can clearly choose that. So in every situation you approach, you have so many options like, should I coach them? Should I just listen? Should I 
be a good teacher, be a good mentor? Should I be curious and ask many questions? Or should I bring more fun in this space, right? And be playful. So um, I've got uh, myself, I've got uh, on my PC and my laptop, uh, those two stickers, which says, be curious and be patient. And both of those, I just need to see those two keywords in front of myself because I intentionally chosen to use those two. So I thought uh, that's what I'm missing. I'm too fast, I'm too rushed. I just know what needs to be done. So I have to go there. And then I'm not asking the enough questions. In many organizations, I've been like saying, okay, okay, I seen it already, let's go. And then I thought if I'm more curious, it will change. So I just say, okay, I'm taking those two intentionally to every situation. Nothing more. Just be more curious. Ask more questions. What do you mean by that? How would it feel? What was your thoughts about it? And just ask. And the second thing was don't speak. Sometimes being quiet. Just patient. Let it go. It's not their day to day. Maybe not. So let's just wait and say nothing and do nothing. And it's super because if you don't see those two in front of you every single day, every single situation, you just forgot. So that's uh, what I do. When we do those classes for Scrum Masters, we often, uh, during one exercise, I let them choose one metal skill, write it down on some like sticker and glue it on their um, T-shirt or something. And then uh, they should remind each other about that metal skill and just say, hey, did you really? been so playful have you been using during this exercise maybe a little bit of playfulness or have you been using the patience or have you been a good listener so i ask them to be challenged right so they experience it so that's kind of a fun exercise so you can try it just choose one of those write it in front of you so you see it and then try a day just using it it's super fun but it takes a little bit longer than a day to be really fair I want to ask you a little bit about one of the other original ideas that you share in this book, which is your trademark Scrum Master Way. When I was reading through the section that described the Scrum Master Way, I can easily imagine a young or intermediate Scrum Master reading this and feeling like in order to be adequate, in order to be proud of themselves, they need to, as quickly as possible, adhere to or achieve the highest level of competence as described by the Scrum Master way, but I don't think that's what you intend. I, could, you, could you describe what the Scrum Master way is and explain to our audience why it's beneficial to work patiently through those stages of development or to apply different stages of the Scrum Master way to different organizations or different situations? Sure. So... This whole concept was created because uh, I was frustrated by uh, seeing all of these Scrum Masters being like a team assistants or a team guys or um, somebody who just feel, okay, I'm here for the team, for those five to seven individuals, those developers, testers, etc. And I mean, that's a great job. They need them. 
But eventually, I've seen them coming back and saying, like, you know what? When I when I was before the project manager or any other role, I see a development path. So what's my development path? What's the journey? I'm a scrum master. I mean, yeah, that's useful, but what's next? So I thought about how to explain it, and I came up with this concept of three levels. I call it Scrum Master Way. With a hashtag, by the way, that's a funny thing because I was like thinking, yeah. What if experiment, right? In Agile, we love experiments. So what if I call my book The Great Scrum Master and subtitle hashtag Scrum Master Way, right? What if I call the book with a hashtag? Would the people tweet about it more? Actually, they don't. They just to tell you the result of that experiment. But anyway, it was an experiment. So hashtag Scrum Master Way, and uh, it has three layers. The first one says, it's the beginning, it's the ground. It says, my team. So when you start your journey as a Scrum Master, you just need to learn how to build those self-organizing teams because at the end of the day, that's the only goal you have, to build a great self-organizing teams. And uh, so the first lever is just get great on that and build great self-organizing team out of those five to seven individuals just bring them together not as a group of individuals but as a real team which is hard in some organization you know it can take a year or two in some others couple months in some others you already have it mostly so you have it in like two three sprints right but on average like six months job and then they are mostly self-organizing they're improving themselves of course they still need you you need to coach them, you need to facilitate, you still need to bring new ideas and be a good mentor and explain them things. You need to observe, you need to help them to remove their own impediments, all good. But you start to be more on the observing side and you're just back at this feeling like, what's next? What shall I do? I mean, they are self-organized. They don't need me anymore, right? So you go back and you think like, okay, what's next? So there is a second level which I call relationships. Because at this level, you don't focus on this team, this development team you have, but you focus on any relationships this team has with anybody else outside. So it could be a product owner is a, the closest one, but it also can be the customers, stakeholders, etc., users. It could be the managers. There are always some, uh, mostly some managers in the organizations, right? It would be the other teams. It could be a marketing team, it could be a sales team, but it also could be the other development teams. So all those relationships need to be somehow handled. And the Scrum Master should be able to build out of that ecosystem a network of self-organizing teams, which is self-organized by itself. So it's a self-organization on the next level. And of course, they use the same five skills, coaching, facilitation, removing impediments, uh, teaching, and observing. But at this time, it's not just about coaching a small team or facilitation, five to seven people conversation. But nowadays, it's about um, running some scaled uh, conversations about six teams together in a room doing the planning together. Or maybe um, coaching them as how we work together as multiple teams. Right, so those skills are on the next level. They are like more advanced, and then, on average, you know, people always ask about those times. So on average, like three years, but again, it could be like half a year if you're lucky. 
and it could take almost forever if you're unlucky. If you're in an organization which is completely not ready, it's super hard to make that ecosystem self-organized. But then once you make it and they become more and more and more self-organized together at the cross-team collaboration level, then again, they don't need it that much and you end up mostly observing, standing in a circle there and then saying like, what shall I do? What is needed from me? How can I help this organization to be better? And then it's the same thing. You're ready for the third level, which I call the entire system. And at this level, you look at the entire organization. It's like imagine yourself standing on an observation tower, which is like 10,000 feet distance. At this level, you don't really, you don't really see like individuals and you don't really focus on individuals, right? Because it's all about teams. It's all about cross-team collaboration. This time is not product-oriented. It's not development team-centric. It's actually organizational focus. And that's where the Scrum Master becomes the real servant leader, changing the entire organization. So one of my colleagues said that, you know, what he tells to the managers often, like, do you want to change the organization? Well, then you need to become a Scrum Master because they change the organization. So that's the third level. So when I speak about this concept that the Scrum Master classes, most of the people who show up at the CSM, right, which is at the beginning of the journey anyway, they're like, okay, we are starting the first level. We might be able to imagine the second one, but we are like feeling so far away from the third one. And when I go to the advanced Scrum Master level, people who have at least one year experience with Scrum, maybe a little bit more, they're like one level up or at least see, oh, okay, I can see that. And I've been doing a little of that. So that's cool. Uh, one more thing, these this three levels are like not separate, right? So even if you're mostly spending your time on the third level of the entire system, you still do some work on the relationship level and you still do some work on the my team level. So you still keep an eye on your team and you're whenever the system really needs you. And there was a second part of this question, which I'm not able to recall now. So if I miss something, feel free to ask me again. No, I think you addressed it because the second part of the question is is to explain how it's not so much a matter of moving through the three stages, but applying the appropriate lessons from each stage to different situations inside the organization. And I think you address that by talking about how even when you're at stage three, you still have responsibilities to the team and you still have responsibilities to relationships. Um, I, I wanted to point out something that uh, I thought was kind of clever and it reminded you reminded me of this when you mentioned how people who are just getting out of the CSM are just starting their journey. And I, 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 it was, and I don't remember who told me this, but that getting your certified Scrum Master, finishing CSM training is like finishing driver's training and getting a driver's license. It doesn't mean you're an expert driver. It means you have permission to start learning how to be a good driver. Yeah, I would agree with that, right? See, what are your experiences, good or bad, with creating a team of Scrum Masters? Good or bad? <laughs> so, um, I'm not sure if it's bad, but um, I, I was um, some time ago. I was in an organization which um, I was expecting it to be quite agile, whatever it means, right? 
they've been applying a lot of things. They've got some great teams. So I was somehow expecting them to have a great um, team of Scrum Masters. But I was super surprised they actually been having something, but Scrum Masters rarely shows up. One, two, three people. It was really like uh, completely dysfunctional. When you ask them, they say like, no, I don't see a need to see those other Scrum Masters because we have different teams. Typical symptom of just them being at a team level, like my team level, right? So uh, that was a kind of a disappointment because they somehow have it, but they missed the whole point. Like, why do we have it and what shall we do together? So we tried to reset it and we, you know, when you try to reset it in this kind of stage, you always lose like 50% of your Scrum Masters, um, average case, right? 50% of your Scrum Masters because they are mentally, clearly, at the my team level. So the Scrum Master at the my team level would say like, why would we need that team? There's like no need, you know, I have my team, you have your team, we don't need each other. Done. Now Scrum Masters at the second level, and that's the hardest thing, I guess, they see a need. They say, okay, we hear you. We love what you want to go, but we don't have time, sorry. Now, you have a very few, so maybe the biggest disappointment is that at the end of the day, when you explain it, you have just a very few Scrum Masters who are like ready mentally, and they also have time. But actually, that's a good thing, because once you start, they start coming in. And then if you see it a little bit later on, like a couple of months after, then you have more and more people coming and then it's just built on itself. So that's the good thing on it. But um, I guess the biggest disappointment when I started doing that in some companies was like, oh, they are really not ready. They don't really see it. How is that even possible? Right. And then you say, like, oh. They just need to have a space. So I sometimes joke with the Scrum Masters at the, you know, the classes saying like, you know, the my team level of the Scrum Master Way concept is like a kindergarten for Scrum Masters. It's super important for your personal development. I mean, that's useful. You go there, you experience it, you take your time, but then there are some other layers, right? You have to go to some other schools to really grow up. So they usually laugh. So that's something like uh, what's the most difficult on building this team because you're so enthusiastic. You finally got it. And then you somehow forgot that most of the other scrum masters in the organizations are not there yet. And maybe your role is to actually help them to grow to that level, step by step, slowly by slowly. So that might be the most difficult experience I got. The The best one. I think it's in those organizations where you show up there and they say, hey, we have these teams for the masters. Could you come and join us for a coffee? And they just really like say, hey, we have these scrum masters. It's always start like that. It's like, okay, I show up for a coffee. And then you have those wonderful conversations because they are really working like a great meta team. And that's so cool. So I love those. Yeah, that's always uh, great Great to see, especially when they even organize some events together inside the organization. But unfortunately, like in my experience, it is not, not so common from the organizations that I know. I was also having one of the 
the question like what is in your opinion relationship between scrum master and agile coach in the last book that we uh, read there was an inside joke that what is the difference between agile coach and scrum master oh 50 dollars per hour yeah but i was just wondering what, what is their like working relationship in your opinion i actually see it as the same thing they're just different labels and i understand why we have those different labels It's a good reason because the industry, on general, the organizations, they don't understand what the Scrum Master is about. So if you look into the job positions, right, you see a lot of project managers with uh, Scrum something, Jira administrators slash Scrum Masters, etc. So there is a complete misunderstanding in the industry and the organizations still, which is sad, but it exists. So there is this whole misunderstanding of what the whole Scrum Master job is about, right? So I understand that some Scrum Masters are trying to say, okay, I'm not this team assistant. I'm something more. I can coach. I can facilitate. So they call themselves Agile Coach. It's a more fancy version of something which should be called Scrum Master anyway. Now, um, I also see the other reason, the other other spectrum of this. Those are those independent people, right? So you're a Scrum Master if you're 100% employed or 100% allocated for that organization, right? And you would call yourself Agile Coach if you're external doing those interventions or just going to several companies and um, helping them as well. So there are those two things, but I don't see it necessarily as uh, a different role. I see it as a different version of it, like a more experienced Scrum Master maybe. Something like this. So an agile coach is basically a scrum master who's doing her job. At the third level, I would say. So I would say also, or maybe second, right? So, uh, if I compare it with some certification, I know at least, right? So I'm often saying that all the CSM certifications, advanced, professional, but still CSM, are scrum masters. There's a first level, my team level, with no experience or some experience in Scrum. Now, if you go to the certified team coach, Scrum Alliance again, certification, right? Then you're a Scrum master with a good experience at the second level, the relationship level. So you understand all the scaling, you understand all those other different frameworks and approaches. You have this broader perspective. You're able to coach and facilitate multiple teams, etc. And then if you go to CEC, which is Certified Enterprise Coach, then I think you're very experienced from master at the third level, the entire system level. So that's how I usually kind of link those two things together. And the reason why I do it is because Scrum Alliance and any certification, by the way, has a good description of those layers. So that's somehow useful if you're like still feeling like, what is this entire system and what I need to learn? Well, then I often say, hey, just have a look what the what it costs you internally to learn to kind of get into the CEC level and you have some feeling at least. So, Thank you. I wanted to ask you about some advice for Scrum Masters who are going through an Agile transformation because an Agile transformation takes a long time to do effectively. Often it's done in a time box. Shouldn't be. It doesn't make sense to try to become Agile using waterfall approaches. But it takes a, a long time to really internalize the culture of agility. And during the process, it's not uncommon for scrum masters to find themselves torn because 
the role of a scrum master is to think long-term, to think about the long-term growth of the team and of the organization. And there's a conflict between that long-term growth mindset and the and short-term efficiency. There are deadlines to be met in the short term. So what would your advice be to a scrum master trying to explain the benefit of having a person like herself thinking about the long-term growth of the team in an organization that's addicted to firefighting? Sometimes they are frustrated. And I was as well at the time. I remember I was like, you know, super down and everything. But I had this I think I rarely give up. I just usually try to find another way. So that's my way of dealing with things. But I think really the system perspective says there is no right, no wrong. So if you take that stance, then you look at things and say, okay, this organization is not ready to adopt XYZ practice or approach or whatever. Well, okay, let's take a step back and let's try something else. So I remember when we've been trying to implement those agile kind of approaches at the organizational level, the Scrum just happened to us because at the team level just happened to us because our customers requested it. So that was simple. Well, not simple. Well, eventually it was simple to us, but more simpler than, you know, if you started from scratch. But uh, then we actually say we changed the entire organization. We want to have it agile. With agile leadership, with actually flat structures, with different HR processes and everything. And that was sometimes frustrating because some portion of the organization were fighting back. And the same thing can happen at the individual team level. The organization is just not ready for your creative, innovative, cool ideas, right? And all you have to do is just to listen to that, figure that out and say, okay, take a step back. It doesn't mean you give up. It just mean okay, that was too radical. Now, how can we make it from a different perspective? How can we show those people that this is a great thing? That is one thing. Experiment. Be one step ahead of the organization or of the surrounding or of the people around you. The other perspective would be actually to really have a courage, right? It's one of those from, uh, values, right? Be courageous. Just don't be afraid to do things. I have so many people who are like complaining, but I can't do this and I can't do that. And I need somebody else to change things. And part of it is the leadership, right? When you just stand for something and say, hey, I want to achieve this. So I'm going to do this. It's all the consequences. I don't ask for permission. I might ask for forgiveness. But there is always a change. I'm not sure which one or how it looks like. And it usually costs you a lot of trying before, but there is always a change which is actually possible in every situation. It just might not be the most straightforward one, but it always exists. So I think experiment, be ready to take that risk. Don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness, and just give it a try and be patient. Because at the end of the day, it will take time. And if you do experiments, and people don't like it when I say it, but if you do experiments, eight out of 10 experiments need to fail. So think about that. You're changing the entire organization, the entire culture, the entire who we are and how we work, and you expect it's going to work like this. There's like no steps back. That's impossible, right? So 
be ready for that. It's okay. You take a step back, you learn from it, and you try a different way. You take a step back, try a different way, and eventually you figure that out. It's a step-by-step like a dance, right? You know, I I might have been able to get away with this mostly because of my age and experience. It doesn't work. It's not so easy to do when you're 25 years old and you've just become a scrum master. But I was once an agile coach in a, a very large organization, and an executive asked me, what it is that I think my job here is. And this was an old and very traditional organization, and it was facing lots of of challenging deadlines and regulatory issues, and, and it was a complicated organization that was working very well. But it wanted to become more agile, and so it had hired me as an agile coach. And one of the things I pride myself in in an engagement is that my main responsibility is just live and breathe the values. And... My answer to her was, I believe it's my role in this organization to be me. Because when I look around, there's a lot of people who are used to one way of doing things. And there should be at least someone among all these thousands of people who is me. (laughs) And she actually accepted that answer. Yes, we need one of you here. At least one of you, preferably not two. (laughs) That's That's a great answer. Yeah, that's a great answer. I love it. Yes. But it's hard. If you just go out of a school or if you have a, you know, some mortgage or something, it's it's a hard situation, right? You might have a family who is relying on that job. I know. Things are hard. But there is still, it's not about changing, like, everything, going to your CEO tomorrow and saying, hey, I'm going to change this organization. You can do a lot of things which no one really cares about. And I guess that's the perspective you need to figure out. What is the change which no one really cares about, but it can make a huge difference? Yes, as you described, change is hard and it takes a lot of time. But there is one aspect of the change that I'm always wondering, because as you mentioned, there will be some people who are like against mostly because their whole environment, the place that they used to work will be completely different in in a few months or years and they just cannot adjust to that. They are like spreading those uh, team toxins like constantly and stronger and stronger. And I was just wondering, what is your approach to deal with this situation? You mentioned to wait and I understand that. It's, it's, it's good to wait because it's a process. But what if waiting doesn't change anything in them, you know? The time that you give them, it just makes us, like, you know, more aggressive towards other people or or just really make it worse and worse. (laughs) Well, there is an interesting uh, lady which you might want to interview unless you did do. I didn't check all the books you did. But it's Linda Rising. I'm sure you know her. And uh, I was listening to one of her talks recently. And she was sharing with us something about, uh, you know, this this change and those people who are like never accepted, no matter what you do. And uh, she was actually saying, and I don't want to misinterpret what she said, but my feeling was like, well, that's actually, those people are good. We need them. They bring the diversity into the team. So 
most of us would be saying, no, they are wrong. But actually, if you look, if you take the system perspective, there is no wrong. There is no right. There are just different perspectives. And she's sharing this one story about, you know, imagine you are in a, you know, this tribe living in the forest, right? And there are those new young guys who just find a new berries. Just this wonderful new berries and they are saying they are so sweet and so tasteful and everybody have to try them because they are so healthy and then you know what happened some people would say okay if you try them i'll do that as well and by the way today if they are still not sick they take them some people would just wait a couple months and then if they are still healthy and still enjoying the taste of those berries, they would take them. And some people would never, ever take them because some of those things may, you know, show up in a couple of generations. So what she was kind of, uh, at least my understanding of that was like, those people are actually good for the ecosystem, good for the system of the organization. They bring the diversity. They bring the different angles. They ask you those questions. Are you sure? Is it working? How do you know how you're going to prove it? So I actually started looking from that time on on those situations with different lenses. I actually think those people are going to be there all the time. So that's okay. So what I would do with those, no, it will never work, people, I would just listen to them. I would listen to their arguments carefully. I would respect their opinion. I would spend time with them as a good listener. And actually, whenever I did that in retrospect, it always paid back. It happened several times that some of those people just came the next day and say, well, actually, thank you for listening to me. And I think I'm ready to try that. Or I respect your opinion on the contra. And, you know, you have your points. So just, you know, I'm not in a way anymore. So the other part of it is like, don't judge. Be a good listener. There is no right. There is no wrong. They might be useful. Listen to them carefully. You don't have to agree. That's a different thing. So they have to do it. But listen and respect can actually bring you a lot of great angles. So that's my current kind of uh, my personal development thinking. Thank you, Susie, for that. Yeah, I, I think that it will bring a lot of reflection to me and also to our listeners. But you mentioned at the beginning also that you, the title of the book has also hashtag the scrum way. And I was wondering if you would have a chance to rewrite your book, what would you change and why? Or, or maybe you won't change anything. <laughs> and that's really interesting because I got this uh, question, um, self-published first. And then uh, very soon after that, uh, I, I got a contract with Edison Wesley, which I'm super grateful to my con. Uh, he recommended me. It was super cool of him. So, and uh, they actually, the only thing they did, uh, they improved the language and they improved a lot of things, etc. And um, they asked me this question as well. And I felt like, no, I'm good. I feel I wrote everything I feel is needed. And the more is not always better. So I'm good. No, thank you. They look a little bit surprised, but they say it's okay.
I feel like uh, I would not change this thing. I mean, I might be able to write another book, which I'm right now, I think. So I'm just finishing my second English book, which is so far the, you know, draft titles as a leader. And so it's going to be published again by Alison Wesley. So that's uh, my current new baby project. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's it's uh, almost eleven o'clock there, and and so I really appreciate your your perseverance and and accommodating us during our studio hours. It's been delightful to talk to you. Well, thank you for inviting me. Right, it's it's um, such a um, I was so surprised, and I'm always like feeling like uh, oh, someone wants to talk about my book. Oh, that's so awesome! So thank you very much. It's like miracle sometimes right like those things thank you so much for joining us for this interview with zuzi sohopa the author of the great scrum master so please join us in two weeks when we're going to be talking about the new book software estimation without guessing effective planning in an imperfect world <laughs>